People are sick and tired of just working for a paycheck and for money. Welcome to Insights, an Amplify original series giving you insights on cultural myths, employee engagement, and why it all matters. In this next season, we're going to kill the buzzwords. Figuratively, of course, we're all about the love here. But really, we're sick of hearing the words. We want to inspire action, change, and dare I say it, engagement. So we are honing in on how to actually build a winning employee engagement strategy while killing the buzzwords. Hashtag kill the buzzwords. And spoiler alert, true change for employees is much bigger than a paycheck. Let's get into it. We've all heard mission matters, right? But what does mission mean? When I think of a business, I often think, well, we exist to make a profit, and then the profit can enrich lives, impact communities, and so on. Apparently, I was wrong. When it comes to success, when it comes to building an organization and getting our employees to buy into what it is we're doing, not only do we have to understand the company's why, we have to understand theirs, the individual why. The missing ingredient in most organizations is that they fail to understand how to communicate what they do and how it makes the world a better place. No matter what industry you're in, the service or product that you provide, your organization has an impact. Now, if you're sitting here thinking that making a profit is a big enough reason to get out of bed every morning, then you're mistaken. Money, remember that spoiler alert, is rarely a motivator for an employee's ability to engage. So what is? Santiago recently spoke at our live Insights event here in Indianapolis on this very topic. Take a listen to hear how he defines the reason for being, or in other words, the real reason people get out of bed every morning. In Japan that they have called ikigai. Any of you heard this concept before? The definition of is a reason for being, um, kind of your, your why. A different way, you know, I get asked sometimes, what, you know, uh, what do you think success is or, or do you think you're successful? And I'm like, I don't think that success, I don't think you become a successful person or a not successful person. I think that at any one point in our lives we can be succeeding and, and that is a fleeting sort of transient uh, moment in the present. But I love this idea because Ikigai is really the combination, the overlap of four circles in this Venn diagram. It's what you're good at, what you love doing, what the world needs, and what you can be paid for. And I believe that if we can be in the moment, in the present, in the overlap of those four concentric circles, we're succeeding. I'm succeeding. That's how I define success for me, is am I doing something that is in the middle of those circles? Because it's interesting, if we're, if we're doing something we're good at and something that you can be paid for, we, what we have is a profession. We have a job, and that's all we have. If we are doing something that we're good at and we love, but we're not getting paid to do it, that's our passion. These, is a, these are our hobbies. If we're doing something that we love and the world needs, uh, right, this can become our mission, right, a volunteering type initiative. And if we're doing something we can be paid for and what the world needs, this can become a vocation. But in the overlap of these four is Ikigai. And that's what I continue to chase after, that I realized at seven was essentially the purpose of my life, to be in this place. Because in this place, I get to become my best self and unlock my potential and I can create spaces for others to do that as well. And I love this quote by Khaled Halim. He's really talking about this revolution. I'll read it to you. There is a fundamental shift happening in the way that people view work. It's not just a job or a paycheck anymore. Our work is the expression of our natural gifts intersecting with the needs of the world. This 
is the purest realization of human potential. It's one of my favorite quotes. I just really, I, I found it about two months ago. And don't you feel it in your life? And don't you feel it in who we work for? People are sick and tired of just working for a paycheck and for money. And that didn't always seem to be the case. Do you remember the times where folks stayed for 20, 30, 40 years in a company? What was sufficient to be able to keep folks for half their waking time for their entire life at work? What did an employer need to provide these people to get all of that in return? Any guesses? Pension, compensation benefits, steady paycheck, good job security, and they were there. How many of you believe that this is, this is sufficient in today's climate? It's not. There is an awakening, there is a revolution, there is a movement, there is a hunger by all of us and everybody out there to realize life is more than making money. Yes, that is important, but it's about more than that. So what is happening? From what we hear and see, the U.S. unemployment rates are the lowest they've been in modern history, from 10% in 2010 to now less than 4%. But are they happy? Let's hear what Carla Taylor, a leadership and development coach, has to say about Ikigai, that reason for being Santiago shared. So what you love, what you're good at, what you can be paid for, and what the world needs, and where those four parts intersect is that concept of Ikigai. And if you're missing even one of them, you're not you're close, but you're not quite there. And that's something that I've also found in my work when I'm looking more at the individual side and how to equip them to be able to ask for what they want and understand what those things are and, and vocalize and verbalize their confidence in, in what their con- contribution is and being able to ask for it consistently. Um, there's four things that I've also identified that people need for consistent, sustainable happiness at work. And it's the, the thing that you love, the thing that you're great at, um, something to hope for where you're also growing and something that fits your needs. And without having all four of those, you're, you're missing one part. So you're going to be close, but not quite there. And a lot of people think, oh, well, if I just have something that I love, I'm going to love what I do and I'm going to be an engaged employee. But that's only one part of it. Oh, well, if I just have something that I'm good at, <laughs> then I can, can be really happy at work. And again, that's only one of the components. And so it needs to be, um, from the employer ex- perspective, something that they need you to do and you can pay for, but then also from the individual sp- perspective, something that fits your needs and something that you can grow in. And when you have all of those factors combined, then people are super engaged. They're excited to keep going and keep growing. It's fitting their current needs. And that's part of that whole work-life balance or work-life integration that you could have all these other factors going really well. But if you have an hour and a half commute each way and it's crippling your family time, that probably isn't going to work for you (laughs) in the long run. So it's being able to look across these perspectives and understanding you can have a lot of things right, but if you don't have the things that matter most to you right, then it's not going to matter how great everything else is. So how does this intersection of an individual's purpose and the company's really impact business outcomes? Well, it hits on a couple of buzzwords, retention and attraction. Listen to this example from Santiago. I was just talking to an Indianapolis construction uh, CEO. I won't tell you who it, who it is, uh, of course. Um, and he was, he was, I was telling him, hey, how's, how's business? And he said, well, we grew. Uh, we did $40 million a year in sales for the last three years. Uh, last year, we did $100 million in sales. And I said, oh, wow, congratulations. 
And he kind of has this concerned look on his face. And uh, I was like, what's wrong? He goes, to be honest with you, I think we're going to go out of business. I was like, what? You just sold more than two and a half times last year's sales. And he says, yeah, we literally can't keep people, can't hire and attract and keep people long enough to actually perform the work. So we sold all these buildings, hospitals, etc., and we're going to be late on delivering them. And guess what happens when you're six months late in delivering a hospital? It's a big deal. You get sued for breach of contract. Some of the primary blockers today from businesses growing more is simply having access to enough human capital, right? And I hate that term, to enough talent to be able to fill those opportunities. And at the same time, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics track this number, which is the average days to fill a position, right? So this is a company saying, I have a job, I want to pay you money, and how long does it take? It's gone from 15 days to over 35 days, the highest ever that the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics has ever recorded. So this is an incredibly tight labor market, right? There is more demand than there is supply for skilled talents. And so this is, uh, this is an issue. Um, uh, Josh Burson at Deloitte, um, he, he's, he runs human capital at Deloitte. He, you, you've all heard the phrase, the war for talent. You've heard this phrase. He was like, I don't know what people are talking about when they say the war for talent. The war for talent is over and talent has won. The war for talent is over. The talent has won. Whoa, it's not just that employees have more work options than ever before. It's that the fundamental things employees want have shifted. Like Santiago shared, it's more than compensation, benefits, stability. It's bigger than all of that. Glassdoor did a study. What are the workforce factors that matter most to employees? Seventh on the list is compensation and benefits. The thing that has been number one for so long that kept people. Now it's the seventh most important thing. Above that, work-life balance, business outlook, career opportunities, senior leadership, and cultural values. You can pretty much split that list into two. There are economic value propositions that a company provides, an employer provides, and there are non-economic value propositions. The compensation and benefits is an economic. All of these other ones are non-economic value propositions. So the challenge is most organizations have built an entire employee experience to deliver an economic value proposition. We're really good at paying people on time and at reviewing our benefits and incrementally improving them. We're good at that. Are most organizations good at consistently delivering these other things on the list? So how do we create an employee experience that keeps them engaged? How do we deliver more of what our employees want so that they stay engaged? There are so many resources out there on the topic of employee experience, from advice, blogs, books, (laughs) this podcast, you name it. And a lot of them throw around this buzzword phrase of, our people are our greatest assets. But a person isn't just an asset, right? What are we missing? I once again asked Carla her thoughts. I think it works in tandem. I think you can't just have one or the other. The employer can do every single thing that they can do to make sure that the employees have a voice and have an ability to ask for what they want and have the type of flexibility or the different benefits or things that might go along with helping with that, having managers be very connected, meeting one-on-one, all of the things that the employer can do. But no matter how great the employer is and how great the environment is, if the employee doesn't know what it is they want and they don't know what to ask for and they don't know how to drive their own career or at least give major input to that, 
it doesn't matter how supportive their manager or their company is because they're going to be the ones that know how they feel when they do the work that brings them the most energy. And one of the buzzwords I hear a lot is your people are your greatest asset. But the truth is the energy of your people (laughs) is the greatest asset and the individual has to own their energy from that intrinsic motivation standpoint, because they're the ones who know, does this work bring me energy or does it take it away from me? And you can be really, really good at something that also drains your energy. So the employee has to, at a very almost cellular level for themselves, know what it is in my life that is bringing me energy and bringing me my strength versus what's draining it. And it's not to say they can't do any of the things that drain it, but they have to know if they're scheduling out their day or their week or they're working with their manager to do so, but they are stacking up a bunch of stuff that drains their energy day after day without anything that that brings them energy, then they're going to, no matter how good the work they do is or how great that employee is at what they do, they're going to eventually feel really burnt out and really unhappy. But if they even schedule one or two things a day that are those huge energy producing things for them that really tap into their strengths, that will drive their energy for the rest of the day and the rest of the week. And they're the ones who know that more than anyone else. They're the ones who understand how they feel internally when they do something. So they have to be their own voice and they have to be the driver of their own career. This effort is a shared responsibility. So how can we empower employees to take ownership of their own employee experience? Cue Carla to tie it all together. I say all the time, people spend more time planning their vacation than they do their career. (laughs) But that's your day-to-day experience. So what if you could actually design a career for yourself with a supportive organization that you don't even feel like you need a vacation from? Of course, we still want those vacations. But we should be that focused and deliberate about what work we're doing on a daily basis that brings us that energy that we need to feel excited every Monday to go back to work and do it again. (laughs) And that's something that employee has to be able to understand about themselves so that they can go to that supportive manager and go to that supportive organization and say, here's what I need and here's what I need more of and here's what's working for me and here's what's not. So when it comes to engagement, it's a partnership between the employee and the employer. It's providing support and guidance while communicating the mission of the organization. Is this really a pervasive problem, though, for organizations? Is engagement what we need to focus on? Highly engaged employees are 87% less likely to leave their companies than their disengaged counterparts. So this idea of employee engagement being a business thing is very real. The ROI of employee engagement is, is incredibly high. A challenge, though, is that only about 30% of folks out there are engaged. This is a bit of a depressing fact. In, in fact, about 20% are actively disengaged. You, can you think of any folks on your team or organization that are actively disengaged, right? It, it, is, it is costly to an organization to have this. So we're, we're digging from a bit of, of a hole. And by the way, this hasn't really changed in about 40 years since we've been tracking employee engagement levels. Yet we spend tens of billions a year on employee engagement, and we're not really moving the needle as a, as a country, as a world. What is going on there? Right? We, we, we set our sights on eliminating diseases, and we do that. In a decade, we'll eliminate malaria, right? Yet this pervasive problem of employee engagement, we throw tens of billions, and it's not getting better. And I hope to shed a little bit of, of, of why that is and what we can do differently to change that trajectory for our organizations. That was Santiago wrapping up this week's episode. 
Before we can answer the question of what we can do differently, we have got to kill the buzzwords. I know, it sounds like I'm using a buzzword, but hear me out. Things like morale, culture, happiness, engagement, experience are all great words, don't get me wrong, but they've come to lack meaning. We use them interchangeably because we think that that's what we're supposed to do. But what are we actually supposed to do? Carla said it, Santiago said it, and now I'll say it. It really does boil down to purpose at both the organizational level and the individual. You have to have both to have true engagement. In the next episode, we'll dig into that set of buzzwords, talent war. Dun, dun, dun. And understand what it means to have employees who are connecting their work with their head, heart, and hands. 